Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, How to Be Teachable Without Being Gullible, and it is part of the Don't Just Be a Christian Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Uh, okay, we're, we're uh, in a series on why, uh, I was always want to say why be a Christian, but don't just be a Christian. And, and for the last three weeks, we've been talking about going beyond the sometimes confusing label of Christian. I mean, uh, if, if you had gone to Northern Ireland a few years ago, it was the Christians were killing the Catholics and the Catholics were killing the Christians. Well, you know, Christians don't go around killing people. It's just not what Christians do. So the label Christian can be uh, a bit confusing. And we've we've talked about accepting the more clearly defined label. And that doesn't mean, I'm not saying, we're not going to be silly if you say I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian or a disciple? No, we're not going to get tedious. It's not going to be like a version of spiritual correctness. We're not going to do that. So so yeah, I'm still going to call myself a Christian. You still call yourself a Christian. But we need to know there's there's a label that Jesus used and that the, the early apostles used. They did, the word Christian only occurs three times in the Bible. The word apostle, I mean, the, I mean the word disciple and the follower of Jesus was the most common phrase. See, cr- Christian can be kind of, what is, what's that? You know, it's kind of easy to be a Christian. A Christian just means, well, and just, I mean, I don't mean to minimize believing that Jesus was the son of God and uh, rose from the dead. I don't mean to minimize that at all. Uh, that, that's, that's huge. <laughs> but but it, it can mean just that you believe the facts, that you passed a theological and a science test. Theological, he's the son of God. Science, he rose from the dead. You've passed the theological test, science test, but you have really no interest in your life looking like Jesus or joining the body of Christ. By the way, Zach and Meg, good to see you today. And here from Key West. And I want to say thanks to uh, you don't have com- they have commercials and TV. Well, this is I just interrupted the, the sermon for a commercial. <laughs> David Sampaio is our guest drummer today, so we want to thank Dave for being our guest drummer. And I almost forgot uh, um, uh, Roberts, Denise Roberts over here having surgery tomorrow, right? And we're going to be praying for you. Her lung cancer has returned, but we're going to pray for a miracle. But let's just stop right now and pray, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus for Denise Roberts tomorrow that that procedure will be 100% successful and, God, she will be cancer-free in Jesus' name. So, uh, amen. How do we become a disciple? Do we get a spiritual GPS device that always lets us know now what Jesus wants us to do? Uh, It's... no, we don't. We don't get a, we don't get a computer chip put, put in us that programs us to follow Jesus and always know exactly what Jesus is to us. He's not here now. We, we don't get a set of, you know, in the, uh, we, don't, we don't get a download of uh, audio tapes, uh, audio recordings from Jesus. 
uh, we, do, we don't have a daily devotional written by Jesus himself, you know, that we can read, and therefore we're hearing from Jesus, and so we know how to follow Jesus. Uh, we, we don't get a, a hologram of Jesus that we can follow around. You know, a, a pastor, I, I, I knew of a pastor who, who tried to, he had the several campuses that he preached at, you know, every Sunday, so they would, t- they would video the, or the service and send it. Well, he decided to do a hologram, and so they, they had a hologram of him appear at one of the campuses, and it did not work at all. It was, people were freaked out by the pastor ghost. So, so we, don't have a, we don't have a Jesus ghost that we can follow around. Uh, the, the text I'm about to read makes it plain that God's plan is to bring a group of friends around you, acquaintances, that some of them have been down the road longer than you have, some have gifts that you don't have, sometimes they'll have strength in an area where you're weak, and um, on occasion they'll have an insight that you don't have. But the question today is how can we be teach- teachable without being gullible? Because we've seen where people became gullible and cult-like and things went south really bad. And some of you were part of those movements. Let's read it, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the fame of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice the wording very carefully. He said, teaching them to obey, obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, the awesome praise group, the Growlers, have a line in one of their songs that says, there's nothing as depressing as good advice. Nobody wants to hear how to live their life. So I did a Google search this week on the joy of being discipled. I figured there would be some articles on the joy of being discipled, having someone else show you the way. There weren't any. There were tons of articles on the joy of being a discipler, tons of articles on that. And so I, I tried, uh, tried the joy of mentoring. I thought, okay, they're, they're, they just disciple is an archaic biblical word. The joy of mentoring, the joy of being mentored, I mean. No articles, no blogs. Nobody's having fun at being mentored. There were tons of blogs and articles about the joy of mentoring, of being the mentor. Then I thought, well, I'll try the joy of being coached. Surely people must, somebody is having fun at being coached. I couldn't find one article on the joy of being coached. There were tons of blogs and articles and books on the joy of coaching. I, I, so, so there are articles and blogs on the joy of being a teacher, but no articles on the blogs of, being, of the joy of being taught. There's a plethora of sentiments being published on the joy of instructing, but none on the joy of being instructed. That's odd, because if you read the biographies of great people and really successful people, they always talk about the person that mentored them, the person that taught them, that, and and I, I, I continued my research, and I found the following insights about being taught, coach, mentor, disciple, and in generally being told by another what you ought to be doing. Now, before you worry about being gullible, though, you need to worry about being teachable, I think. That's what I figured out. I'm going to call this willingness and ability to be taught teachability today. 
So I'm going to tell you two things about teachability, and then we'll close by telling you God's genius plan to guard you against gullibility. Now, number one, teachability requires overcoming our natural resistance to being told what to do. You know why there aren't a lot of articles on the joy of being coached, mentored, discipled? Because it doesn't really feel that great to be told what you ought to do. It's really not that fun. So nobody's writing any articles about it because there aren't any, there aren't any feelings that way. Matthew 20, 18, let's read it again. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey. Obey is a horrible word. Let's just face it. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And when Jesus says this, the disciples probably thought, thanks a lot, Jesus. First of all, we were kind of hoping you would stick around and tell people what they ought to do, how to have an eternally eternally purpose-filled life and then you told us the Holy Spirit was going to come and convict people of sin so we were thinking great the Holy Spirit's going to do this and now you're letting us know that you plan on us telling people what you told us to do that's going to be hard and Jesus says this is why Jesus says don't worry I'm going to be with you and they're thinking we're going to need you to be with us Now, here's a few things I learned in my research about being disciple, mentored, coached. I used all the the words, all the the synonyms. First of all, God has designed us to want and need autonomy. God did not design you to be told what to do. God designed you to have dominion. It's right in the book of Genesis. God put us on the earth, and he gave us dominion over the earth. It is not natural to want to, to be told what to do because God made you and, and so it's a part of how God created you. God created you with a desire for ascendancy. God created you with a drive for dominion. God created you with a drive for autonomy. That is something that God put in you. In fact, it's all over the scripture that the Bible says that in the, in the final analysis, we will, we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in dominion. Secondly, being told what to do, though, tends to make us feel powerless. Or being told what we ought to do, we tend to feel powerless. This person who's giving me this instruction, they're they're disempowering me right now. I'm feeling disempowered. I was feeling empowered and on top of things until someone said to me, you need to do this differently. The third thing is being told what we ought to do makes us feel like a child. When somebody starts to lecture you, when somebody starts to instruct you, immediately your brain will go back to when you were three and four and five years old. And can you remember when you're a kid, everybody's telling you what to do? I mean, perfect strangers say, stop it. Perfect strangers say, no, don't do that. Perfect strangers. People you don't even know or care about when you're a little kid are telling you what to do. Everywhere you go during your day when you're a little kid, somebody is telling you, sit down, stand up, shut up, go over here, go over there, wash your hands, stop eating with your mouth open, with your, stop chewing your food with your mouth open. All day long, somebody's instructing you, so when immediately your brain goes, I'm being treated like a child. I'm supposed to know this. 
Another thing that being uh, told what ought to do feels like, it feels like criticism. You should be, it, it immediately it's, you're saying I'm dumb and you're smart. You're saying I am wrong. You're saying I don't know what I'm doing. Immediately that's how it feels. Being told what to do is also scary because we don't know where it ends. It's the slippery slope. Okay, this person feels the freedom to tell me, like, like there's a famous story that I tell all the time about my mother-in-law, who I know Colleen doesn't mind me sharing it because we shared it in public testimony. She came up to Colleen Hamill years ago and said, your children are monsters. I'm going to help you. And, hey, she, her kids are, thank God, Shane is here on staff with us now, and it must have worked, right? <laughs> but when somebody's bold, like, especially when somebody's bold like that, you go, wait, if I let them tell me about raising my children, are they going to also want to get their nose into my finances? Are, are, are they going to want to talk about my marriage? Are they going to want to talk about all the junk food I eat? Where is this going to end if I let this person think that they can be a teacher in my life. You can see why this, you can see why discipleship is not a great church growth strategy. It's really not. It's not. You know, Stephen, a church that decides we're going to disciple people, that's not how you grow your church. We're going to serve you, now that works good. <laughs> We're going to serve you, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to uh, serenade you with great music and interesting sermons and, and great programs for your children, which is, we ought to, we, ought, we, we should do that, all that, by the way. But if a church says, our specialty here is teaching you what you ought to do, that's going to be, that's what this church is going to be known for. I mean, that's a good way, just to empty your church. It just, you know, <laughs> it's scary. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, it's like the socially distance and mask mandates. A lot of people are, are, are concerned because when's it going to end? What else are they going to, if they can make me wear a mask, if they can make me stand six feet apart from everybody all day, if they can do that, we know some we know some corrupt politicians are going, wait a minute, this is cool. We can make people stay home. We can make people go where we want them to go. And we're all, some of us are worried about that. Because we know that everybody that's in D.C. and everybody that's in the courts and all these people, they're not the always the most pure-hearted people in the world. And now they're telling us what to do, so we feel like we're on a slippery slope. But if you, if you let that fear control you, you won't wear seatbelts. You won't follow building codes. And you will protest health inspectors that monitor food service. And I happen to like all three of those things. I think those three things are good. So you can't, you can't, you're going to go crazy if everything's a slippery slope, right? All of us with authority, though. And I'm sobered by this. When I think of being in, in a place of some spiritual authority and people are very kind to me often and very respectful and kind of uh, with certain people, I've noticed that my words will carry authority. And I'm always sobered when I think that that image 
1978 of 909 bloated bodies in the jungles of Jonestown, Guyana, who, who people followed their pastor. Can you imagine this? They followed their pastor to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And 909 people, that's more people than come to our church on a weekend, all took their own lives because they, they, they let themselves be discipled by a pastor who was an egomaniac and, and lost his mind. And, and so naturally we have this resistance. Uh, 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 Ellis Doran, who I, or Elizabeth Doran, who I do not know, but she has a PhD, so that makes her quote worthy, right? And she says this, scientists have a term for this called psychological reactance. Psychological reactance is our brain's response to a threat to our freedom. Threats to freedom include our anytime someone suggests or make you do something. Health communication experts note that reactance sometimes happens in response to health campaigns that tell people to quit smoking. Rather than reducing smoking behavior, these ads sometimes cause people to want to smoke more. As I've been researching this concept, I've become hyper aware of my own psychological reactance. I've noticed that my brain has reactance in my response to the smallest threats. For example, when my husband says, what's the plan for this evening? Instead of simply responding with no plans or with whatever the plan actually is, I find myself feeling a bit panicked as, as if him asking the question is going to lock me into something I do not want to do. Now that's a PhD. So imagine that. Uh, how many of the rest of us that just have bachelor's degrees and nothing? Right? High school diplomas, you know? How many of you are honest enough to admit that you sometimes avoid books, videos, and teachings that tell you how to be a better spouse, how to be healthier, um, how to be better in personal relationships, and how to be better interpersonal communication, or how to draw closer to God, that you avoid those books. You avoid those podcasts. You avoid those teachings. See, I, 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 I have a motivation to teach, as you can tell. And uh, the Bible lists all these different motivation, motivational gifts, you call them. Uh, you could question whether I have a gift or not. I don't know if I have a gift. That, that's, I'll let you judge whether it's a gift. But it's, it is a powerful motivation that I want to teach people and explain things to people and, uh, and all that. I've had to learn at home to tone it down and not try to explain everything to everybody, you know. And uh, 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 so uh, this idea, I, I, I think I, I mistakenly thought in early in my ministry that teaching was a very gentle gift and peaceful and that, you know, you thought of a guy preaching, that sounded like he's screaming and he's sweating. He's preaching. Teaching is nice. But I found out teaching is like, and I couldn't understand why people were getting offended at me. Because I'm just teaching. <laughs> I did, it took me a long time to realize I'm telling people what they ought to do. I'm telling people they're wrong. I'm telling people you don't know something that I know. And I'm getting ready to tell you something. And I'm getting ready to tell you something you thought you knew, but you were wrong. How does that feel? That feels terrible, doesn't it? That feels threatening. So Jesus has asked us 
to do something that is a bit unnatural. He's asked us to begin to speak into one another's lives about our, our, our real lives and whether our lives are measuring up to Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. That the last thing I will say about teaching is being told what to do almost always delays gratification. It's always, you were about to do something, or you're about to go somewhere. The Bible says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. It's a great verse. Perhaps you've heard of the term Faustian bargain, and back in 1500 or something, right? Uh, a guy named, uh, there's a, a, a myth written about a guy named Faust who made a bargain with the devil for, uh, for pleasure and prosperity now, regardless of the future, and sold his soul to the devil. And sometimes, sometimes because we don't like the backlash of teaching that happens, we make a Faustian bargain with people. And we say, okay, if you'll just come to church, give your money, and volunteer for a couple of things. That's all. Uh, I heard a, I wrote a pastor recently. Uh, someone, someone said, you know, and this, this someone was living in a situation that was not, not biblical, the situation they were living in. And, and, and the statement was made by this person, you know, every time I go pack, I like to go talk to my pastor about it because after I do, I don't feel guilty. Because that pastor, I know that pastor wants to make disciples. But he's so worried about making a person uncomfortable. He's so worried that he will be rejected. He's so worried that that, people, that person, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's worried about. I didn't ask him. But I, I know this is how it feels. Because I'm in that position often. You're in that position. I, I, I know that person will not handle, uh, you know, I know that I, I want to make them feel better. That's the number one thing. But, but that is not the number one goal of the gospel. And uh, that is not the number one goal of the gospel is to make us all feel better. Because there's this principle that what makes us feel bad now makes us feel way better later. And that's a principle of life. Where, where is that principle not true? I, I don't... I don't I, I've never ha had anybody tell me, man, I'm so psyched about midterms. I'm enjoying it so much. But I've had many people brag about their degree. I, I, I've never had anybody tell me, you know, the, the, I went to this exercise class and, and they, you know, it, it, it was so much fun being pummeled by the instructor. <laughs> I just enjoyed throwing up so much. But I've had a lot of people who had a long history of working out so, you know, I feel great because I work out. The Bible says no discipline is joyful for the moment. So how are we going to become the people that we need to be? The great people, the powerful people that we need to be. Because I, I, I say that how are we going to do it if we don't learn to move out of our comfort zone? And we move into this discomfort zone of learning what we don't know and being told what we ought to do rather than just being told how great we are all the time. Teachability is the only way good people become great people. 
I'm not going to read that, all the scripture, but I'm going to have them put Acts chapter 18, verse 23 through 28, because this is a really important story. I wish we had time to really unpack it. But there was a, there was a Greek guy named, uh, uh, um, I, I just, his name just slipped my mind, Apollos. A great guy, that's a natural name for a great guy, right? And, uh, and, 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 and he was like this, uh, you, you, you get the clear image that he was, he, that he was highly educated, very articulate, and, and an amazing speaker. And he goes and he speaks, but see, he, he really only stu- understood the baptism of John and the teachings of John about following Jesus, but he didn't understand the full power of the cross and the full power of being full of, filled with the Spirit and the full message of grace. So he got up and preached very capably what he knew, and there was a couple of tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla, in the audience who go up after the service, get this, a couple of tent makers uh, in that culture, a woman, Women, women's testimony was not even uh, uh, considered valid in court in that day and age. And this woman and her husband, whose names are always mentioned together, which is, which is a very interesting thing to happen in that culture in that day, because the leaders of that culture would have never put a woman's name right beside her husband. Everywhere you see the name Aquila, which is the man, you see Priscilla. So Priscilla and Aquila, a couple of tent makers with no degrees and probably didn't probably got their GED, you know. And Apollo had his PhD and they go up and pull him aside and say, We want we want to tell you you just got half of the gospel. We want to we want to teach you. And the Bible says that here's what happened to Apollo. When Apollo wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, wrote the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help. Help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, moving from the scriptures that Jesus was Messiah. How did he learn the power of Jesus from a couple of tent makers who had their GED that he humbled himself and listened to? Now, God's not going to do everything in your life through the Holy Spirit alone. He's going to do it through people that are anointed of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. One of my favorite uh, tools that I use, in, uh, like in premarital counseling, we almost always use this tool. I think I shared it with you guys. And it's the Jahari window. I'm going to have them put it up there. I love the Jahari window. I think it's one of the coolest little tools that people can use. And it's about, the, what's cool about the Jahari window is it combines how you grow intellectually, how you grow in wisdom, And at the same time, become better related to the people around you. How you become a greater community. And so it it divides your life up into four categories. There's the open stuff. There's the stuff that everybody knows about you. Everybody knows you're good looking or you're not so good looking. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows that you, you, you spend a lot of time uh, just kind of like w- w- wearing the perfect clothes everywhere you go and having your hair just so-so, and everybody knows that you just show up in a T-shirt and, and jeans. That's me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's all common knowledge. We all know. We all know Steve's not going to show up in a tux on Sunday morning. We just, we just know. Then, then there's... The hidden stuff, the things that you know that nobody else knows about you. That's secret stuff. It's not all bad stuff. Maybe maybe you live alone and you never hang up your clothes. 
You live alone, so nobody knows that you throw everything on the floor. And then once a week, you gather everything up. <laughs> throw it in the washing machine, right? And then there's th th this third quadrant up here is where we have conflict or we have growth. That's things that are unknown by you, but seen and acknowledged by others. Now, that's where it gets fun. That's why you have arguments. Because you know you're right about what they think they see. But, you know, what, why, we call them blind spots because they're blind spots. That's why we call them blind spots. And, and, and God has so designed us so that we need each other to know ourselves. We have to outsource our sanity. Right? Do you understand what I mean by that? God has designed that we need community. That we need the fellowship of the brothers and the sisters. And that we have to outsource our community because there's no way we're going to know everything about ourselves that needs to be known. It's going to require that other brother, that other sister, the spouse, the kids, the parents. Somebody's got to inform you of what you think you know but you don't know. And that's how you become more like Jesus. It, 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 could, it could actually get fun if you accept it. And then, of course, there's the unknown. I love that part. Because that's the part that no one knows but God. And that's part of the freedom. And that's part of what protects you from gullibility. It's because he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's a secret place that where you, only God knows how many of you have had God reveal you to you in prayer or in conversation or in reading the word and God reveals to you about you and it's such a wonderful humbling experience but don't differentiate always between when a person is used by God it's also God's way um, now I want to end by talking about God's genius plan for human connection and personal development. And this is so exciting to me. And I'm not trying to sound highbrow or anything like that. I'm not trying to be a psychologist or sociologist or any of those things. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want you to know this is the gospel. Because I, because I do love and, and I, I lean into and I, I like to study the psychological world. I've been criticized before by bringing psychology into preaching. Not too many people, just a couple of people, you know, a couple hundred. You know. no. no, not really, not really. A couple thousand, really. <laughs> now, I'm all about the gospel, man. But overall, psychology's probably done more harm than good to the world. But, but sometimes they learn things about human behavior that preachers don't learn and that churches don't learn. And sometimes I read some of their stuff and they're getting it more right than some of the preachers that I'm listening to. So that's, that's, that's just my little personal thing, okay? But God has a plan. You know, there will be good people, by the way, good people that you love who will confuse discipleship with getting on your case every time you annoy them. That is not discipleship. That's just human interaction. That's ha that happens, and that can be good for you too. But it's not discipleship. 
when you disagree with people, when you disagree, that's, that's a different category. But God has a brilliant plan for bringing us to be that full person. That, that, the Bible calls it to the full stature of Christ. To be bring you to the, and I to the full stature of Christ. And here it is. Every believer has Jesus as Lord, the Spirit within them, and the Scripture as their ultimate authority. Every believer. Every believer is a self-contained church. Every believer has the potential of having all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the authority of Scripture within themselves. Any, every one of you has the potential of knowing everything you need to know without another human being. This means all committed to being a Christ follower are empowered by the Lord and the Spirit and the Word. You know, in biblical times, when the Torah was read, the, they would stand when they, when they read the Scripture, and they would sit when they taught. And the reason they did that is to show that the, the, the Scripture had more authority than the teacher. That the scripture was the ultimate authority. And you have in the old days, it would have been in your hands, in a, in a black book, but now it's in your phone or your tablet. You have the word of God. And it, it has all the knowledge of God. So, you know, uh, Apollos had positional authority over Priscilla and Aquila, but they had the authority of the Lord, the Spirit, and the word. He had positional authority over them, but that didn't mean he had ultimate authority. See, if the people who went to Guyana, Jonestown, would have gotten their Bibles out, and they would have gotten, with the, if they would have gotten filled with the Holy Spirit themselves, they would have never gone to, gone to Jonestown, but they would have taken the word to Pastor Jones, and they would have said, you're missing it, brother. We're going to another church. But they, they shut themselves off from a proper relationship with God, and so they, that caused them to become gullible. The current cultural idea, you know, that human, the human being, this is another point I want to make, the current cultural idea that the human being is the ultimate authority leads to the conclusion that human interactions are a struggle for power, not the achievement of the most noble and highest ideals. This is so important. We desperately need a source of wisdom that is outside of the structure of humanity. We desperately need a source of wisdom and, and direction from one who sets outside all human authority structures, all human authority. That, that we need knowledge that, that, that requires the uncreated creator and the immovable mover to have that knowledge and that wisdom. And nobody in this room has the ultimate authority. The greatest formula for human flourishing is this. Number one, God is love. Number two, Jesus is Lord. Number three, the Spirit leads. Number four, the Scripture is the reliable guide for life and practice. And number five, we discover how to understand and apply the Scripture to our life and circumstances by living in community. For all who want to be the community of Christ. We're protected from irrational, crazy authority because you have the authority of God too. 
every one of you. Every one of you has the authority of the Spirit in your heart and the authority of the Word of God at your command. So anyone who comes to you and tries to disciple you away from the Word of God, away from the Spirit of God, and away from the character of Christ, you say, time out. But you need to become a discerner of truth and develop an ear for truth that when someone starts to tell you what you ought to do, you need to develop a relationship with God that in the words of Scripture, your spirit bears witness with their spirit that what you're hearing is just exactly what God wants you to hear today. And if you don't, cha- if you don't listen to it, you're not going to grow to the next level. Amen? For all of you who want to be a part of this community, let's go. For all of you who just want to observe, enjoy us, and be blessed by us, you're welcome too. Let us know how we can serve you. Finally, I will say this. A church of cross-following disciples is not a holy club or a spiritual clique. If you want to enjoy being in our friendship circle, but you're not interested in being a fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ, we're not asking you to leave. On the contrary, we're not a cult. No one in here should be ashamed or shunned because they benefit from ministry but don't want to be under the authority of Christ. But there's a song that we once sang that says this, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. You see, it's not that we have lost the ability to think for ourselves. It's because we have found that Jesus Christ is the most trusted voice. That Jesus Christ is the most trusted voice known to humanity. And as a fellowship or a community, we listen together to avoid the dangers of missing or misunderstanding his beautiful directives would you like to join the trusting fraternity of those who want to be not just Christians but fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ